uh, boys, this has been a, my head hurts, but I'm glad to have done this with you. Um, it's a good time. If you enjoy the podcast, leave us a rate and review and, uh, yeah, keep listening and, uh, keep pursuing authentic faith and keep pursuing excellent art too. Until next time. What is up? Welcome to Forefront 360, a podcast where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. We're back at it again here. Uh, my name is Cody Schweiker. I'm uh, going to attempt to host this podcast um, about a subject that I am, I'll be frank, confused by. Um, okay. But I have some good friends here to help me walk through this. And uh, to my right here is Richard Christman. Hello. How are you doing, Rich? Uh, I just kind of... Uh binge ate some tom walls if you're not from from rochester new york it's a it's like a local fast food burger place but i had the i had the wall burger which has ham and swiss cheese on it oh wow yeah uh it was solid but i ate it really quickly and then followed it up with uh pretty much a jug of house made root beer so at a boy i'm on like a sugar high and also a like carb and grease low at the same time so Okay. I'm equilibrium ready to podcast really. equilibrium baby that's the perfect perfect homeostasis for yeah exactly that's right uh name mancini you're here are you not i am how are you i'm doing pretty well excited to talk about uh what we have today one of your favorite uh well subjects given the topic yes. we're about to talk about i'm not even sure if nate is here or not i mean he I could say that and it might not be true maybe he yeah. was here at some I point mean, in time, I don't know. The microphone is spinning, and we don't know if it'll fall. Right. We we don't. We haven't even introduced the topic yet. I'm still trying to get through the people. Uh, we've got uh, uh, our old chap Sean O'Hare uh, uh, on the uh, on the other end here. He uh, is with us virtually. Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I, I'm already losing it here. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to keep it together. I this this conversation is getting an interesting <laughs> one. Hey, yeah, we, and it's super late the, for you, the, which is the great. time the time uh, related jokes and the inception related jokes. I think are going to be they're going to come hard and fast. Wait, yeah. so what time yeah. is it across the old pond? It's eleven eleven twenty. Where where are you, Sean? I'm in Cambridge. Yeah, for for those of you that are not aware of the famous Sean O'Hare, he just assumes you know what he's up to in the world. Um, maybe you could share specifics, Sean. We're not all tracking your your glorious escapade over across the pond, okay? Um, I'm not sure I would use the word glorious after my first term, but more like bewildered, barely alive. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. They didn't kick you out yet. Um, yeah, that that's a win. Good. Okay. Uh, gentlemen, we are here for a special episode. Um, when big kind of events happen in the arts world, mm-hmm. um, we we broaden our scope a little bit, right? So Indeed. we're going to be talking about uh, a new movie called Tenet, right? It was, it was uh, marketed as the movie that was going to reopen theaters, right? Ha! <laughs> and, or at least get people back uh, to theaters. <laughs> And it did for a moment, um, but this movie is is a huge deal. Obviously, uh, COVID shutting down theaters. Uh, Christopher Nolan movies are an event, and they're especially 
important to see in theaters if you're able to. Yeah. Um, and we just wanted to talk about it. And uh, we're going to be talking about um, that movie and just kind of Nolan in general. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, let's – I'm. I got to be honest, I'm terrified to do this. I feel ill-equipped. I feel like uh, – I, f- I feel like – illiterate after watching that movie because i don't understand it but maybe you guys can help me maybe we can you know grab me by the hand and walk me through this uh mental tornado that he put on film if we have any filmmaking and christopher nolan uh masters uh please you know like and subscribe and comment and join the conversation we'll have you on to talk about it again absolutely let's start let's start here boys uh where did you see the the movie, Sean? Where were you? Did you see it in England? Yeah, yeah. That, that was that is the only m- movie I've seen in theaters this year. I think that's true. Yeah. So they so I saw that they that they had it here in theaters, and so I went nice. a month ago, a month and a half ago. Um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was first of all, it was just good to be back in a the theater. Yeah. Um, they had the nice reclining seats. Oh yeah, all was well in the world. Um, but yeah, yeah we have those. Quite... We have those in the U.S. as well. <laughs> Do they? Wait, serious but question. Ours are on the right, and yours are on the left. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wait, serious question. In uh, in UK cinemas, do they sell you know Coca Colas the size of your torso like in American cinemas or no? Or is it just ginger beer? I, I didn't. I I didn't catch that. I just. I don't. This is this. This is a. Uh, maybe I'm admitting too much here. I sometimes get things if I go to the theaters, but I don't always do that. Okay. So right. yeah. um, I didn't. I didn't catch if they were doing that. And I would be surprised if it was something. But I. I don't know if it's as uh, excessive as the yeah, U.S. It's just exclusively <laughs> fish and chips. <laughs> here, here's a dumb question: Do they do popcorn in, in theaters? Like, is that a global thing? To me, it's obvious. That, like movie movies and yeah. popcorns. But is that just probably? Yeah, popcorn, Sean. You've seen popcorn there. Well, I'm, well, they got corn from from here, didn't they? Back in the day, yeah. Were they growing corn in Europe before Columbus? This is quite the agricultural podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm very curious. I'll look it up on my own time. Uh, very cool. Very cool. Nate, where did you see the movie? Did you guys see it together? We saw it together. Oh, you and Rich yeah. saw it together. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that little bro date you had. Yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty good experience. We went to uh, AMC Webster, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, reclining seats. Yeah, mm-hmm. had had the nice seats, and uh, you know it's it's socially distanced. You wear masks. Did you guys sit next to each other. Stay safe. Yeah, we uh, did. Yeah, yeah. With uh, almost laughably huge distance between the next people because those seats are so huge. <laughs> yeah, they, like they, the they next person's like two seats away, yeah. and they're like, yeah, it's already social distance. Those. Yeah, right, I was right. just I was yeah. gonna say unless it's like the opening night of some like absolutely crazily anticipated movie a lot of times theaters are kind of spread out with people anyways yeah. right right it, it, it the, the setup does lend itself to a social distance situation i think mm-hmm. yeah and and i think that that overall you know cody like you said nolan's movies are, are good movies to see in the theaters uh not only because they're 
a lot of times action films or thrillers of some kind that you just you just want to see those kind of movies on the big screens. There's a lot of visual flair, but also Nolan's such a big film fan, and like he he loves shooting on like uh, seventy millimeter film or on IMAX cameras, and uh, so he's just a big proponent of like getting people out to the theaters to see his movies, and uh, that's the place you're supposed to watch them. It's like personally offensive to him if you watch it on anything smaller than a theater screen. Um, so you know. On one level, I respect that, and it was, it was kind of fun to to be back to see a Nolan film in the theater because you just can't imagine doing it any other way. Yeah, totally. Rich, what was it like for you seeing that seeing the movie in theater? Yeah, after, I mean, after especially after not being in a theater, I'm assuming for quite a while. Yeah, definitely really nice to be back in the theater. It was cool. Uh, one thing that was funny was there were so few previews, which is un not. Oh, yeah common so you know it was interesting to you know even though we were back in the theater i was very aware that it was not normal they were were promoting some really like low-key stuff it was like what what is this oh yeah and they had this trailer for they had trailers for amazon original movies (laughs) that are like premiering on amazon (laughs) and it says like coming sometime (laughs) (laughs) it was so weird i love the movie theater i mean i always have i will go to a movie theater by myself and have almost more fun because sometimes if you, if you go with the wrong person, they'll try to talk to you throughout the movie, which sure. I'm not about yeah. that. Can't do that. Like Nate and I, we, we went to the movies together last year to see the, the new Tarantino movie. And that yeah. was wonderful because you, you're you there for the same reason I'm there, to like watch and, Appreciate and study the, the movie, right? Yeah. Um, but I sometimes I like going by myself even more. I just like... I, it's is it sad? It sounds sad, but is it really? Because it's not like a social thing. It's no. like you and the piece, right? I, do I sound smart for calling movie a piece? Yeah. Yeah. The, sure. I'm pretty sure the first time I went to a movie with Nate, it was The Revenant. Oh. I like that movie. It? Yeah. And I feel That's like funny. you and I didn't yeah. know each other like super well at that point. And it was just funny because we were like, you're like, oh, do you want to see this? I was like, yeah. And we were kind of sitting there and just watching DiCaprio get ripped apart. And I was like, all right. Hey. You guys knew each other. <laughs> DiCaprio crawling inside of a horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Just art. Just it's what you love to see. <laughs> I like that movie. Cody, I will say, uh, I agree with you. I think that the stigma around going to a theater by yourself is it it feels like an unnecessary thing that we all think. Like there's if you really if you really sit down and think about it, there's like no real reason that people have like a problem with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's if you're just, going, I, I think if it gets you're, to this idea of like people don't like being alone, or like they're not really able to be alone with themselves. I think. Yeah, yeah. Let's blame it on other people, Sean. I'm with you, man. It's it's. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not a loser. You guys just have some like complexes. I mean, it's not like you know you go out to dine by yourself. That's one thing. It's like, hey, you know, text a friend at least try. But if you want to see a movie, man, just go see a movie. It's like I love spontaneous movies too. I'm like. I'll go to the theater and I'll be like, hey, you want to see a movie? And they're like, uh, what's playing? I'm like, what the heck does that have to do with it? Like, you want to go to the movie theaters and eat popcorn and yeah. candy? And Which like, is really funny. It's an experience. Because, yeah. I mean, not that we're going to dissect every hair of going to the movie theater, but the uh, it's funny, too, because you got these two camps. Like, I, I know people that are so down to go to the movies just for the experience. It does not mm-hmm. matter what it is because we're going to sit and, like, I'll watch whatever's on TV. So why wouldn't I? You know what I mean? But... Then you got this other camp that's like, the movies are so expensive. I never go there unless it's the one movie I want to see. And, you know, I I get it on both sides because, you know, now these 
bigger chain theaters, it's like $15 a ticket or whatever, yeah. you know. It yeah. is. It's getting pricey. But first of all, I don't go – I you, rarely go crazy at the concessions in because the the food is where they get you. Like I'm, I'm usually st- – like in high school, you're looking at a Cody Schweikert who is like – Stuffing burritos from Mighty Taco into his pants, smuggling oh, them yeah. into theaters, you know. So I was okay. always my parents yeah. taught me young, you know, you, you don't buy the snacks there, you bring snacks. And I mean, we're Christians and we have repented of that, but we did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it has happened. Will it happen again? I don't know, you know. But it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. But uh no, I, I love the movies. Um I, I just eat you, know, you walk in, you see the posters there, you walk in, it's dark, the screen is probably bigger than the screen at your house so i don't mind probably. forking over the money i don't mind it yeah and i will say as somebody who creates uh videos myself and uh you might say movies i did make one feature in college uh that theatrical experience there's something special about that when you're like experiencing a movie with a group of people even even if you don't know the people even if right. you went to the movies by yourself there are other people in the audience watching it with you and experiencing it at the same time and i feel like it's a way of like elevating the art form of a movie to a communal experience. And when we take it out of that and we just kind of watch it literally on our own, not in a theater, just like at home and see it with nobody else. And you you can't even like talk about it afterwards with anybody that there's something that's kind of sad about that. Where as, as somebody who created the art, I like, I wanted people to experience it together. Um, and I, I think that that can be really like gratifying for a filmmaker to know that people are having these communal experiences and uh, those moments in the theater when something happens that mm-hmm. you didn't expect and you just feel the collective gasp yeah. uh, or, or the awe or the surprise or fear or whatever. Um, and you're like all feeling that together, mm-hmm. even if they're strangers. Especially maybe if they're strangers. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. And it's, you realize like it's a movie doing this. It's just something on a screen, right. but it's yeah. still incredible. I'll never forget the, uh, and it's funny cause I'm not even a massive Harry Potter fan, but I'll never forget the, uh, going with my friends, my senior year of high school to the midnight release of the last Harry Potter movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like such an experience, like the amount of like the reactions oh, that people were having in the, you know, around, and it was every single seat was sold out. Yeah. So like you could hear everybody's, reactions to everything there were people crying and you know it was like <laughs> it's crazy. emotional the fact yep. that we haven't done any harry potter content that i'm aware of is a sin and we we should correct that soon yeah uh we were just nate, talking about nate this. morgan Locke has the same feelings yeah uh, he thinks we really missed harry potter as evangelical so that's we should right. fix that I, I, so we're gonna bring it back in the form yeah. of a podcast that's right uh they yeah th- those are the books that got me reading as a kid so anyway um let's talk let's talk about tenet this movie, T-N-E-T, uh, when I first heard it marketed, I thought, I heard Tenet, and I was like, oh, it's like a, Nolan's like got a landlord, it's and a landlord. he's like a slumlord, it's like a gritty city thing, I don't know what it is, Tenet, uh, but no, Tenet, and... Uh, tenant, Tenet. Tenet. Like so, Tenets of the Faith. Get it? It's a palindrome. It's a palindrome, so same forward is reversed, right? So, um, it took, I didn't realize this until my YouTube research an hour ago, um, but... Uh, guys, I've got a lot to say about this movie. Not that I'm uh, the expert on it by any stretch, but it, it definitely left me thinking, like Nolan does. Uh, what? What? Where do we begin, even with this conversation? Did you? Who did not like it? No, no one is. Raising I'm not going to say that I didn't oh, like it. We have but, a winner. No, no, I'm not going to say. There it is. There no, it is. no, no. I, I really was hesitating whether or not I wanted to respond, but. 
you know, if no nobody was talking, I think that uh, I, it's not that I did not like it. I would never say like, oh, I I did not enjoy that movie. But I think I have a very high bar for directors and movies that are getting a ton of critical acclaim and critical attention. So I'll and a lot of times like if and we'll get into this obviously, but like if I have criticisms about a movie, sometimes I think I'm a little harsh on the movie if I expect it to be something that it isn't. So I'm not going to say I didn't like it, but I definitely there were things that I didn't like about it, I guess. What what were those things? Uh, not to put you on the spot, but I mean this kind of jumps the gun a little bit, but yeah, no pun intended there. But the um there are guns in this movie. Yeah, and people spoiler. jump and we're going to spoil yeah. we're going to spoil the yeah. movie by oh, the yeah. way. Oh yeah, if so. you haven't watched the movie. Say, ground ground rules here. We're we're doing spoilers, right? Yeah, we're yeah. we're going all in. So spoiler yeah. alert. If you haven't seen it, what were you doing? Well, Basically, I had a literature professor that I really respected in college who said this, and it's always stuck with me. Um, we were doing creative writing, short he said, stories. He said, Christopher Nolan sucks. And <laughs> yeah, always he said, kind Christopher of Nolan with sucks. Me. That always just stuck with me. It's made a lot no, of sense. No. But he said, um, he, there was a kid in my class that always used to write these real mind-bending sci-fi stories. And I remember once we were critiquing the kid's writing, and uh, or my peers' writing, and the professor said, he just like kind of cut us off mid critique and said, look, if you have to explain what happened in your story, it's not a good story. Like if the creator of the story needs to explain to the reader what just happened, you didn't execute it well. And so I felt, so I too have done some YouTube research and without watching YouTube videos and reading analyses of the movie, I admit that I did not get the movie fully. You know, like like okay, there's so much I, that I've can I press in on that real quick? Yeah. Can I can I push back on that? Um I would venture to guess that the people that you found out that information from did not sit down with Nolan himself. Right? So yeah, that it no. wasn't it wasn't Nolan himself that sat down and explained it to them and then that's where how you got the information. That's a really good point. I, yeah, so that these people that you're engaging with that are that are giving you insights into the movie, in their own particular way, with their own insights, their own experience and and exposure to Nolan and his ideas, they made certain connections, they created insights and shared them with you. So, yeah. I would I would say that in, in in some way you're just sort of like one layer removed from that the art being able to generate its own. Uh, experience, if you will, and, right. and, and us to be able to to come away with something from the art itself, um, but but that that doesn't just because you're one layer separated from it doesn't mean that it that it's not attainable or like accessible. Does yeah, that make I, sense? I think maybe a good amendment to what I said is that uh, maybe I'll just amend my analysis to Nolan movies and Tenet in particular are I would call fairly niche. Like I think you need to be a Nolan person to really appreciate the film. But that, right. that's my thought. I, I like where this is going and we're going to need a, de- we're going to need, this is what the conversation is, right? This is exactly where we're headed before we keep going on that. I think we need to like, what, what is this movie about? Even if we had to try, like I could try to summarize the plot, but it would probably take an hour. I, essentially it's like a, a spy movie and the the word time travel is never used because that's way too on the nose. That the the word inversion comes up a lot. So it's like a spy movie, and this organization called Tenet has to go like 
save the world from this maniacal guy that has cancer. And if he can't survive, then nobody can. And he's in communication with people from the future that have kind of given him uh, directions to plant this doomsday device that needs to be disengaged before the world blows up. And there's also, I mean, like what? And there's a yacht. There's, there's a, a yacht, yacht there's some sunscreen and a corpse, and <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, it's a mind better. Can a anyone lot. do a better job than I just did? I beg you. Like, what is the movie about? Yeah, I mean, saving the world with time travel is not a bad way to put it. <laughs> I guess so, right? But it's way but see, the thing more is, though, convoluted. That is what it is, but if someone said to me, oh, this movie's about saving the world with time travel, and then I watch the movie, that... That's not what it is. I mean, I mean, I mean, it is what it is. Maybe that's like the skeleton of the movie, but that's not what the movie is. It's just, the mechanics of it. Here's 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 what I said when I saw Nate, who I know is a Nolan fan. I watched it. I think a day or two before you went, and yeah. uh, I said, you know, I won't spoil anything, but it's the most Christopher Nolan movie of all time. Mm-hmm. And I I, I say that uh, as a critique and as a celebration because uh, the critique is. You know, the the thing that always holds me back from saying this, I love this Nolan movie and I could rewatch it a million times, is the the way the plots are convoluted and the rules in the universe are confusing or contradictory, dare I say. Uh, and there's, there's often not a strong emotional core to the movie. He kind of uses the same stuff. It, it seems like the characters are secondary and really it's a... It's a Christopher Nolan movie first and foremost, and it's about the way he likes to tell stories in, in an innovative way. Yeah, it's about the structure. Right. Sometimes sometimes at the expense of like an emotional weightiness that I other stories really do much better job at. Now, the the reason it's the most Nolan movie in a good way is because it's spectacular to watch and yeah. to listen to and I mean, I I don't know how he makes these movies. Like people are fighting in reverse, some people are moving forward in time and other people. So time travel in this movie is not like we got in the time machine and we jumped back to 1989 and we're there now automatically, right? 1.21 time- gigawatts. Right. Time travel in this movie is 1985, by the way, back to future reference. Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I, Great Scott. I, that Great Scott. So time travel in this movie is like you have to travel back in time. You don't instantaneously appear at some point in the timeline. You actually like have to walk backwards, right? And like the the characters that are traveling back in time that are inverted have to wear – you know why they're wearing the, the gas mask, the face mask? is because when you're, back, when you're inverted and you're traveling back through time – you are breathing in CO2 and breathing out oxygen. So you have to wear the gas mask. That's what that's about. So mm-hmm. I, I'm lost already. I don't even know what my point was, but uh, it's the most Nolan movie to date. What a good uh, microcosm of dealing with the film. I'm, I'm <laughs> quote, I, I'm lost now. I don't even know where I was going with it. I, but once I was it's just like, we were moving forwards and now we're moving backwards. <laughs> I, yep. I think this is where I was going and then I'll shut up for a second. But, I, when I sit down to watch something, I want to be all in, totally focused on that. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not texting people when I'm watching something. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to totally understand as much as I can. And when I watched this Nolan movie, I already knew it was going to be complex and convoluted. And so sitting in the theater, I'm like, 
I'm like preaching to myself. I'm like, Cody, just let go of your need to fully understand everything that's happening, the fine mechanics and intricacies of the plot. Let go of that. Rich, I know you should say some Star Wars right now. Don't do it. You're still holding on. Let go. Once I was able to let go of that and say, hey, I'm just going to enjoy this uh, incredible spectacle that's on that's in front of me right now. And if I pick some stuff up, great. If not, it looks cool. I don't know. It certainly looked yeah. cool. It did look very cool. I mean, I, I think it's it's a little bit unfortunate because, you know, like Sean was talking about how, you know, people have kind of poured over the film and understood it. Like you, you can kind of figure it out if you really try. But I, I think part of the tragedy of this movie is like there, there are so many good things. There's yeah. so many good things and so many amazing ideas like the gas mask idea and like these like inverted objects while other things are moving forwards. And like some of the characters are pretty fascinating. A lot of the set pieces are incredible, incredible. right? A plane just like literally just crashing into a building. Um, very cool stuff and very cool ideas and ultimately a very impressive film. But I think the tragedy of it is that these kind of movies can work. And I think like some of Nolan's other films have worked in a way that this just didn't quite work. And I think to analogize it, we talked about Harry Potter, right? I think uh, when I like read a Harry Potter book and then watch the movie, I'm like, okay, they did the stuff in the book, in the movie. They like kind of faithfully recreated it. But because of the way the movie's made, it doesn't emotionally land. It doesn't like hit me in the same way, even though the stuff happened. And that's almost how I feel with Christopher Nolan. When I hear like somebody explains tenant on a YouTube video and it's like, this happened and this happened, this is why this happened. I'm like, Oh, like that's interesting. That's fascinating. And Nolan is incredibly smart and I cannot believe he, he made all this stuff work in a way. I just didn't understand it. That's amazing. But watching the movie, it doesn't, hit me it doesn't get me i don't like get it as i'm watching it in the way that i feel like i should it doesn't land for me um and i think that's in contrast to not to try to bring in too much of the future stuff we're going to talk about here but in his other movies like inception inception is a very complicated film as well but i felt like right from the beginning of that they very clearly set up the rules of how mm-hmm. like dreams worked. Right. And then even as they broke them later, you knew what rules were being broken yeah. and why. Yeah. And so I felt like even the first time I watched inception, I got it. And like not knowing whether the top was going to fall. I understood what it meant mm-hmm. the first time I watched it. Yes. Right. I knew what it would have meant if the top had fallen or what it would have meant if it didn't fall. Because it's chronological. In because that I, yeah. because the rules were set up and I understood it. And, and so even if there were intricacies that I didn't quite, you know, put together and I would have figured it out later, it landed for me the first time. And that's the thing with Tenet is I feel like there's so much stuffed in there, so much complexity. You look at these YouTube videos and the maps that people draw. Oh my God. This is going forward and this is going backward and this is going forward and back. I'm like, I cannot imagine understanding that the first time. Like the complexity is so dramatic. And I just feel like it needed it needed either less pieces moving or it needed more time to breathe so that those things could land and you could say okay i understand the stakes i know what the characters are trying to accomplish and then when it doesn't work i know why that's bad 
What, what if you know? no? What if Nolan's like, "Hey, I've done what I've done on purpose, and if you really care, you'll watch it five times, and by, after the fifth watch, you're yeah. gonna love this movie." That's pretty then much again, what he does say. <laughs> again, niche. Then the average viewer has no interest to see the same movie five times but in they, order to understand it. But they it. can still enjoy it because it's it's an incredible ride, even if you don't care about the rules. Sean, what what do you what's going through my? I get the I mean, feeling you like this the most. <laughs> uh, I just want to be contrarian here. Um, I. I was actually going to kind of bring that up. I think it's, first of all, to Rich's point, it's possible for something to be niche in one sense, to be appreciated. If it's, if it's rich enough, it's, if it's full enough of um, worthwhile things, then it can be appreciated in a niche way, but also it can be appreciated for other things about it that are compelling, like the visuals, like some of the concepts in it, like some of the, um, the action, that kind of thing. Yeah, I won't um, argue that point. Yeah, it, it it does bring up some an interesting distinction that I was thinking of when Nate was talking is that um, it brings up an interesting question of do, does does this movie not land because it sort of like doesn't follow the rules that it's setting down? It's sort of like lying to or tricking viewers or that kind of thing, or um, the other question or the other idea is it just is the problem that Nays is articulating that it's basically too much in one and that as you were saying Cody we have to like keep coming back to it over and over again and I think that's an interesting thread to pull on because it's an interesting question does does art need why does art need to be something that we get the first time we come to it right what why <laughs> he's 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 shaking his head i can see him um, i think there's a it, different i think there's a difference man between like a really rich text that you enjoy and then you you it, it ages like a fine wine you appreciate it more and more the more you yeah. rewatch it is this different than that i'm just to defend myself again i think that <laughs> no i think there's a I'm going after rich no i'm just saying that there is and i i just think the distinction should be made so that people you know understand where I'm coming from, I guess, is the fact that I am, and I I guess I should have opened with this, while I, like, I definitely see a lot of movies as art, I definitely didn't go into the theater expect, with the same attitude that I would go into if I was going to see, like, an opera, or, like, something, and I was like, okay, this is going to be very difficult for me to understand, but it's a beautiful, complex thing that I'm not going to grasp all of like if I had gone into Tenet being like I'm about to experience art that is far beyond my ken like I probably would have enjoyed it more you know what I mean right so like you know where do the line like the line is blurred between art and entertainment and of course like what's the difference between pop art and high art you know all these things but sure but in some sense we we know what we're getting we know what we're getting with Nolan too right like we know as as now now if we didn't if we didn't know before (laughs) we know now we know now (laughs) No, but like your description of it's the most Nolan Nolan film. Uh-huh. I mean, in order to be able to say that sentence, you, there needs to be a certain idea of like what a Nolan film is. It mm-hmm. is a, it is something that you wish in your near theater, you wish that you could pause it and think about it for like three minutes before going, but it just keeps on going. It's really intense. It's really complex. You're asking all these kinds of questions. So in, in some sense, we do know what we're getting though, right? Mm-hmm. In the next Nolan film, there will be no dialogue. It's just... It's just music and shots that will. You'll be like, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I have no idea what that. it is, but 
it's abstract art. It's it's getting to the point where it's like this is an abstract movie where I don't I don't understand it, but I loved it. I can't tell you why I love it, but I loved it. I don't know. I think I think I I think I will enjoy it in time and in some way I already enjoy it. I don't understand it yet, yeah. but I've always understood it. That's how time works in Tenet. That's how time works. Oh, you know, good point. <laughs> I will say John David Washington, who is a former uh, former college football star, he's great in the movie. He is great. The scene where he walks through the kitchen and just destroys dudes with like so good. plates and like cheese graters and stuff is yep. incredible. I mean, the action, no one can argue that, that Nolan's uh, action choreography fight, fight scenes are just incredible. So that was cool. I also love uh, when... The wife, I'm so sorry for forgetting your name. Uh, the wife kills her husband and then has to get, dispose of his body, but he's like heavy. So she puts sunscreen on the deck of the yacht to slide, to be able to slide him off. I just, maybe that, maybe that says a lot about what I enjoy, but that was, that was hilarious. Both to me. of those moments that you just described were definitely the most Tarantino esque moments <laughs> of the movie. But my, the highlight of the movie to me was Robert Pattinson's performance. He's awesome. Mm, because really I, uh, we can't talk about Nolan without dancing around Batman a little bit, but I think that, uh, I got super excited for, uh, Robert Pattinson's upcoming Batman. Just based on this. Yeah. He was so cool in this. Frankly, I, from what I've seen of the upcoming Batman, that character that he was playing in Tenet doesn't seem too far off from the Bruce mm. Wayne that we're getting. Mm. So I, that made me pretty excited. And, you know, Robert Pattinson's come a long way from the Twilight Saga. So it's just cool to see. That's right. Here's the thing with Nolan. I just brought up the college football player, and here's a football analogy for any of the sports fans out there. All right? I'm sorry. But uh, you have some players that are just all-around great players, like uh, Jerry Rice, incredible wide receiver, could do everything well. All the skills that a wide receiver needs to do, he could do it all very well. Then you have players like uh, John Ross, who is the fastest guy in the league, but uh, is bad at like a whole bunch of other stuff. And I think Nolan is a little bit like a John Ross character where he, like, I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think anybody directs action sequences like him. He he finds guys that, it wasn't even Hans Zimmer this time, but it was still a dude who made an incredible... It was Ludwig Gordonson. Yeah, just... In Black Panther and the Mandalorian. That's right. Um, insanely, like, he does these things so well in the spectacles and the stunts and even the imagination part of it. Like, you have to give it to him, like, the... The idea of, hey, I'm not going to do another time travel gimmick. I'm going to put my own cr- unique twist on this concept. And he does all that stuff like better than anyone. It, but the other stuff, like the characterization and developing like in a, in a emotional stakes in a movie, uh, he just he's not that great at it. And that's why he's such a to me a confounding figure because like how can you be so good at this thing and so average at this other thing? It's it makes him hard to talk about. That's a fair point. And actually, kind of along those lines, a, a critique that I did see about the film that I thought was also valid was the the fact that you – the way that the film was mixed, you couldn't hear a lot of the dialogue. <laughs> yep. so, I mean, what, whatever lines the characters did have, it made the like that process of relating to them – like even more hard, even harder, just because maybe you know. no, maybe no one gets jealous. He's like, and John David Washington is being so like char- charismatic in this scene. 
I'm going to remind people that this is a Nolan movie. Turn the volume up on the score here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Nolan, like, he loves the realism of things. And so, like, he'll mix his scenes like they would be mixed if you were experiencing them, which is to say, like, hey, man, if there's, like, a big plane right there, you're not going to be able to hear the dialogue. <laughs> like, that's how it is in real life. Sorry. <laughs> and, like, as viewers were like, no, I want to hear the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. So true. Which is hilarious. Um, but I, I think, like, it, it, it's worth saying that there are there are ways of communicating like intricate plot ideas beyond just exposition in dialogue. And I think there were a lot of like dialogue scenes in this movie that were attempting to tell me what was going on through exposition. And like, like Robert Pattinson would walk up to John David Washington and be like, yeah, this is how this works and this works and this works and time travel, this and that. And you better be careful about this. And I'm like trying to like, you know, write everything down so I can remember for later in the movie. And you're just like, wait, I don't like, I, I, I do not get it yet. And then the movie like moves on from there, but, mm-hmm. but the movie's like, you know, Nolan's like, Oh, well, I, I put the exposition scene in there. Like, didn't you get it? And I'm like, okay, th- like there are ways that you can get across these ideas through like what happens and like visually. And that's why I mentioned like that early scene at the beginning of inception. I feel like it really set up. This is how like people go into dreams and how the dreams work and, and and how you get out of it and that kind of thing. And so like from the first kind of opening action sequence of Inception, you're like, I get it. With this movie, I felt like it took me a long time before like there was a scene like that where you kind of got it, where you're like, okay, now I understand the mechanics of things moving forward and things moving mm-hmm. backward and the implications of that. I just, I needed like an early sequence that like really sold it and never got it. And so it just like, like throughout the movie, it's like, okay, now, like at this point, maybe I could understand that previous sequence. If I knew what I knew then, uh, you, maybe they're rewatch and you got to rewatch them. I feel like, I don't know. Nate, so so fast. What did you make of the, the scene that was technically like the exposition scene with the bullets and stuff? On on the note that you were just making there. (laughs) Yeah. Like where, like where the lady's showing him how the bullets work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I thought after that one, after that scene, I was like, okay, I think I see where he's going with this. Like, like we're going to kind of move forward in the plot, but then there are going to be certain objects that move backwards. That's like what that told yeah. me is like, there are going to be these backwards moving objects. I don't quite get the mechanics of like catching a bullet and like how that's going to work and how it even worked in the, it's simple, in the opera sim- scene. Simple entropy. But, but like, you know, it, I kind of see where he's going with that, but but then there would be points in the movie, like the point when, you know, the, the heroes are on one side of the glass and the villains on the other side of the <laughs> yeah, glass was- and like maybe or maybe not killing the girl. And like, I'm, and, and then like the guy like shows up again or starts moving backwards. And at that point, I'm like, OK, like like the bullet scene doesn't help me here. Like, yeah. I, like at I that do po- not know what's happening. At that point, they're in the time machine. That's not called the time machine. But- right. The 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 uh, like these revolving the, the doors, the, these yeah. like revolving the inver- spinner things, the inversion hub you. somewhere <laughs> in communist Russia, and then he's like, "I'm going back to save her," and I'm like why like i don't like you're going like back in time to save her and then he's like oh i failed and i'm like how did you fail it's, it's hilarious yeah uh, yeah it's actually a fair point i do remember being baffled like when you at the end of the movie you know like kind of why it's more important that he should like be attached to her and like concerned with her well-being but there is confusion in that in that scene especially like why are you 
going to such great lengths to. Yeah, I remember thinking that like yeah. at multiple points in the movie, like why does he care so much about this woman? Mm-hmm. It, like it just seemed yeah. like strange. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm glad that he cares about her. I mean, I think it's I think it's great. Th- there was just this weird mechanic of like then he like goes back in time and like he's like oh I lost the device and it's like wait how did you lose the device and uh it's like so many moving pieces and I feel like there needed to be a few fewer pieces. Yeah, that's it. Just a few fewer pieces maybe because I love like the the drama between Pattinson and Washington like Pattinson saves his life twice, right? Um, at, in the yeah. opera house, he's the guy, the masked figure, and we know because he's got that yeah. red little string from his bag or something. Mm-hmm. Again, you got to really pay attention to pick that up, though. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no one's like, "Did you see the string in the opening scene?" <laughs> <laughs> Remember that string an hour and forty-five minutes ago that was on screen for one point two seconds? Uh, but no. But then you know, by the time he's like, "Hey, I'm going to go sacrifice myself for you," he doesn't say that, but that's the implication at the end. Uh, I, I knew it was happening there, and I, I didn't understand the rules of it, which, again, got in the way of me enjoying that moment between them. Mm-hmm. But he's like, you know, this is the start of a beautiful friendship, and it's like, oh, we've always been friends. You've known me for years. It's like, what? You're about to die, though, bro. And he's like, don't worry. We're just getting to know each other. And so here's the mind bender. Ready? This is one. I mean, internet research this is what I found. So at the end, so Robert Pattinson goes back to, to uh sacrifice himself and john david washington is in the car he kills the indian woman right because he needs to we all know why i won't even bother explaining it's very clear why he (laughs) needs to kill this woman in the mercedes but uh so he ties up the loose ends so to speak kills this woman and then he sees the, the the female character that he's been caring for this whole time reunite with her son right happy ending she finally has her son which is what she's wanted the whole time now, the implication I've heard is that the son is Robert Pattinson. The son is Robert Pattinson. <laughs> and Whoa. It's, I I've, think that's I've legit. Heard, I've heard that yeah. that's very much uh, speculation, though. I think that's legit, dude. Don't. It I, could I be. Can't I, argue I, I, just, uh, I, I was, can't argue why. But. I, I was excited when I heard that, and then I watched like a another video and the person was like this is a conspiracy theory no one say, has not commented on this i say let it go man no one's gonna prove you wrong with uh, logic it's Just, definitely not on the nose like it's not it, like the ending doesn't say that it's like it could that could be the case but but nolan doesn't like zoom in on the kid and have the kid wink at him or it's something probably bruce, goes, <laughs> it's probably bruce wayne it kind of goes into the contemporary uh bruce wayne goes into the contemporary Star Wars world where we're just like, oh, everybody's somebody's kid. Can't be nobody. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Uh, final thoughts on this movie. I, I want to say, uh, I, I want to say that I love the movie, and I, whenever Nolan releases a movie, I am absolutely going to go see it. And this movie did not make that sentiment less strong. I'm just like. If Nolan's making a movie, I am absolutely going to spend 15, 20 bucks, whatever, take my money. I want to see this thing in theaters. It's a special thing. It is. It's an event. And I, you know, I gripe about him and his storytelling. But maybe, let's be honest, folks, maybe I'm just not that intelligent. And I have to rewatch it a few more times before I can really get it. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, you decide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, final thoughts on Tenet before we kind of just discuss Nolan. Uh, no one's other movies real quick. I would say that obviously you guys have brought up some, some good points and, and I, and I seed them. I, I think the reason that I enjoyed it 
um, so much was because after it was done, I, it got me excited about the art of telling a story and um, the kind of ways that you can go about doing that and the creativity that's involved in that kind of, I don't know, exercise. So it, and it just got my, it just got my brain buzzing and uh, it got me excited about the idea of, of telling a story, a complex story and trying to tell it. Well, obviously we can <laughs> continue to debate <laughs> if he did that or not, or he, if he did that satisfactorily. But um, I think that was the, the thing that made it stick for me was the fact that it got me excited about, stories in general um and that, yeah. that to me is a good kind of marker of if if uh if i enjoyed it at that kind of a level at least he's bold right i mean at least he's being innovative and trying crazy stuff and telling unique stories in an age where everything feels like it's based on a book or an old yep. series or something a formula or something i definitely yeah. give him and everybody else that's doing it credit for making original stories there's so few original stories mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah, and, and truly groundbreaking stuff. I mean, as as bonkers as like the climaxes, you just don't see a set piece where one army is moving forwards That's in time and one's moving backwards in time. Truly incredible. Yeah, and a building is simultaneously yeah. blowing up and blowing down. Like, yeah, so so uh, cool. It's. You, you, you're just like that. That's a cool, that's a cool yeah. idea. And it's there are a, a lot of cool ideas realized in this movie. At some point it's like, shut up and enjoy the, the movie. You know, that's maybe that's what I need to tell myself, which is why we're podcasting about it. That's right. <laughs> talk, talk, talk. Uh, boys, what are our favorite, uh, last time we, we recently did a Tarantino pod where we ranked the movies. Um, I don't think we need to do that right now, but do you have favorites? Do you have movies that you don't like? Are there some that you haven't seen? I mean, I think I've seen, so Memento, th this makes Memento seem like uh, a, a children's book, right? This movie. Um, Memento is simple compared to this. <laughs> super simple. So I, I think I enjoy Memento even more now. I've yet to see that one. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, really? Oh, you're going to love that. Yeah. Yeah, Memento is one of his early ones. It's on Amazon um, Prime. Yeah. There okay. So I, I guess for me, uh, I'm, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan and, and have been, and uh, probably doesn't sound like it on this podcast, but as you know, you tend to nitpick the things you care about. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I've been really into Nolan's movies. And so that's part of the reason I, I, I like to nitpick at him. And I think one of my favorites of his movies is actually the prestige, uh, which he made after mm -hmm. Bat Batman begins. And uh, the prestige of course is, is his film about these kind of dueling magicians trying to outdo one another. And I think the reason it's my favorite or at least one of my favorites of his movies is it does the thing that Nolan does so well, like very clearly, which is um, the film is about magic and mm -hmm. about magicians and about magic tricks. And the film itself is playing a magic trick on you, the viewer. And so there, there is this way in which the theme and the form are the same thing and it works on multiple levels, a movie within a movie, you might say. Um, so, so that's, that's one of the reasons I love it. And, uh, and I, I similarly, you know, inception does, does that sort of thing where the movie is about dreams and it's about people having dreams and levels of dreams, but then the movie is supposed to make you question your reality. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's in, in a way asking you like, hmm, like is all of, are you dreaming? Is all this a dream? Were some of those things dreams? And so it works on multiple levels in that way. Um, so I think, yeah, prestige and inception are, are a couple of my favorites for that reason. Man, the, as you talk, I'm just like thinking about all the movies he's done and I'm like, how dare I criticize this man? This is like, he's just, he's just churning out masterpieces that'll be watched a hundred years from now. Like I, I think about Dunkirk and Sean, how cool would it have been to be over there like a couple of years ago when that movie came out to watch that yeah. in England? I mean, that, that movie is like a marvel in itself. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, what's the, what's the special thing about that movie, Nate, as far as the camera lens situation? Well, he filmed a ton of it with IMAX cameras. What does that um, even mean? What does that mean? So, so IMAX cameras are these <laughs> large format cameras. And so the the film is much larger than a typical kind of 35 millimeter. And the aspect ratio is also taller. And so he's able to achieve this kind of broad, large vision for the film. Um, and when you when you see it on the big screen, it's just amazingly realized. Mm-hmm. So he he loves IMAX cameras, which are very large and very loud, but result in this massive image. Mm. Rich, what's your favorite Batman movie of Nolan's? Because those are the three best ones. So, yeah, um, I like uh, I actually like the third one the best of the of the three. Um, wow. What a hipster! Batman. Yeah, I, I've bold. I've talked to Nate about that in the past. I I really am not a huge fan of the Christopher Nolan Batmans. And, like, if I had to rank my Christopher Nolan movies, uh, the Batmans would be at the bottom for me. Wow. Um, Yeah. Wow. What what other ones have you seen, real quick? Sorry. The Controversy um, Rises. Yeah. So I've seen uh, Tenet. I've seen Inception. I've seen Interstellar. Okay. uh, And I've seen Memento. Okay. Um, So if I was picking top five, I would have those four and then one of the Batmans at the bottom, but wow. the, uh, but the, the reason why, and it's not like, you know, I don't pretend to be some like great critic and that's why I have those feelings. Uh, it's because as we've already touched on numerous times in the podcast, Christopher Nolan makes Christopher Nolan movies. And, um, I've been, a I'm a nerd if you didn't know already. And, uh, I've been a lifelong fan of Batman content, like both, Movies, uh, graphic novels, animated movies, DC animated movies, stuff like that. I, I love Batman. I love the story. I think Batman's like easily the most well-written uh, superhero comic character. Um, and I think a lot of literary critics have made that claim. And I think Batman is Batman and the Joker, like the ultimate, you know, yin yang, are this decades decades and decades of writing very deep very well-written characters and nolan's batmans are very cool and they're cinematic achievements but they're not batman movies they're christopher nolan movies where he took batman characters and made a christopher nolan movie with batman characters see i think so nate nate was talk we were chatting this summer about this and nate brought up the good point that actually the the source material Hat forces Nolan to be grounded, and it's like you have to tell the story in this world, and he still makes it his own. Of course, you tell it's a Nolan movie, but it also feels like the least Nolan-y. Well, def- yeah, mm-hmm. definitely the least Nolan-y, for sure. He held but, back. But yeah, he definitely did. But I definitely, uh, uh, I'm not dealing in absolutes here, but I'm saying that the, <laughs> but there definitely is a, I, I don't, it, it's difficult to explain if you're not someone who, 
is steeped in Batman, but the the like aesthetic of Batman is very different than the aesthetic that we get in the Nolan movies, and he had the right to do that. I mean, lots of different creators have remade. I mean, don't even get us started on like the Val Kilmer Batman movie, you know, or the George Clooney one. Terrible, over-the-top, not accurate to Batman, you know, whatever. There's a lot of bad Batman content out there. But, um, yeah, but anyway, I'm just saying, and the movies are really well made. I'm, I guess to summarize it, um, the reason why the Batman movies, the Nolan Dark Knight movies lose me is because the, like we were talking about with Tenet, Nolan's ability to present us with multifaceted, deep, believable characters that we understand and care for, I think is lacking for characters that I already deeply understood and cared for. And Nolan just treated them so differently than the source material treats them. And that was really hard for me to deal with. I will, I will say when I saw the, the Heath Ledger performance, I think I was in eighth grade when I saw that movie in theaters with my mom and maybe my brother was there and I saw the dark Knight. I hadn't even seen Batman begins. Uh, I was, you know, I was, I was a reckless kid. I was like seeing movies <laughs> out of order. Start with the sequel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I was just so reckless and foolish, but uh, I was like, that man is terrifying. And just the concept of, you know, some men just want to watch the world burn that character being constructed that way. And maybe that wasn't Nolan's doing. Maybe that he just relied on source material. And, and again, just so you don't misread me, the Heath Ledger's, Joker, Keith Ledger slash Nolan's Joker, is a fantastic character. I do not insult that character. But if you grew up understanding Mark Hamill's Joker, they're not the same character. That's what people that's what people always say. And I did not, so it wasn't a bother to me. But I've got friends who say the same thing. Sorry, Mark yeah. Hamill. Sorry, Mark. I'm sure you're listening. I bet honestly, I bet you Mark Hamill loved Heath Ledger's performance. That's just the kind of thing that Mark Hamill would like. Mark, uh, if you're listening, I'm sure that you are. Write into us. Let us know what you thought of Heath Ledger's performance. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate that. Sean, did you even see the Batman movies, bro? What are you snickering about over there? <laughs> I did. I did see them. You did? Um, yeah, I saw... I, I would say... I, I think I would agree that the the second one was... The Dark Knight was my favorite of those three. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, it has been quite a long time since I've seen them. But I mean, I think this Rich's point is a really good one. I think with this kind of stuff, there is a very real sense that it's a new thing that you you're putting your own interpretation on this thing, and maybe that's a helpful frame for like looking at it. You know, the the Batman movies as a Nolan attempt at them are their own thing, and if you look at it in that way, then you can enjoy them. But if you're looking at them from the, the, the broader perspective of the universe, the the, the comic right. um, like development of it, then obviously that puts it in conversation with with the with the broader story in a different way. Yeah, and I'll totally and, uh, admit that it's not it's not fair of me to critique those movies because you know, my critique is born of an outside experience. You're biased. Right? So, yeah. yeah. So if we're but, talking about, that's a legitimate thing. Are. And that's, that's one of the challenges that Nolan I'm sure was thinking about when he was making them. Right. Is this like, and that's what you do with any, with anything that you're sort of, you're reviving or you're like riffing off of, uh, or you're entering into this other thing. You have to consider, there are very real considerations for what is this thing already before I've come to it, before I put my own artistic spin on it. 
Yeah, and I think it's neat that that Nolan um, did make these other kind of original movies during his process of making the Batman films. That you had Batman Begins, The Prestige, really? Dark Knight, Inception, Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, I believe, was next. Um, so th- there's kind of this back and forth that he did, which is really cool that he didn't like he didn't like take a break from his original films to like go make Batman movies, but he kind of just made them kind of sprinkled in. And, and for a while we we didn't even know if the dark Knight rises was going to happen for a while. It was kind of uncertain. Um, and then it did end up happening and he kind of came up with a script that he was happy with. But I just, I kind of like that, that you could see that as a director, he, he wasn't going to stop doing original work that he was always going to come back to that. And he loved writing his own scripts, um, and, and co-writing with his brother. And uh, so that, I just think that's cool. And it, it actually probably benefited the Batman movies to have a little time to breathe. Mm. Yeah. I was thinking too, shifting gears here a little bit, I, as we're talking, I, I never would have realized this before, but I think my favorite film of his is, is actually interstellar. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I know some people, I, no, I, it's incredible, dude. The Matthew uh, cry scene. I think honestly, Cody, what you brought up about um, the character development, yeah, was was the thing that kind of got me thinking in this direction. And one of the most compelling things to me about that film is McConaughey's performance as yeah. a father. Yeah, I thought that was mm-hmm. like the character development in that in that movie. I thought was really moving, at least for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Um, That's by far the, the, the best he's done at that. I think. Yeah, the the grounding of him as the father at the beginning of that film, and the ways that like his um, responsibilities or like this broader mm-hmm. situation pulls him away from that, and mm-hmm. uh, the clear pain that he has. I mean, like the scene where he's watching those those video messages come in, and he's just like weeping yeah. because he's missed his his Incredible. children's. But, but that's because I, I, I he's, thought, yeah. he's he's scaled back at the beginning of the movie, and you see him on this dusty farm spending time with his family. The scale was shrunken. Mm-hmm. That's why it paid off when the scale is huge and the yeah. weight of the world is on his shoulders. Like he doesn't do that in all his movies. Yeah. Interstellar is my favorite as well for the same reasons that Sean just said. Mm-hmm. But um, just to add a little sprinkles on that cake, I also uh, enjoy the fact that. Uh, Interstellar is based on, from what I understand, actual cutting edge, like theoretical science. Yeah. And that added like a whole different element to me because when I was watching the movie, I was just enthralled by the idea that like, wow, this is, could be real. Like Mm -hmm. we could do this in the future. And while that. Wait, like five minutes on this planet is five years back. Right. And that that was just like mind blowing to me. And so that really sets that movie apart. Not to say that, you know, if someone's listening to this podcast, you know, in th- the year 3000, you know, uh, <laughs> I, not to say, I mean, you guys probably go in reverse in time all the time and go in each other's dreams and stuff. But I, in 2020, we're not so sure about that. You live inverted. I mean, guys, I got one more. We're going to wrap this up. I've got one final question. We just did a Tarantino pod. Sean, you weren't there for that, but I'm sure you listened to it because you're a good uh you're a good team member, a forefront, You're a subscriber, a scholar. <laughs> um, so we just did the Tarantino pod. We've done the Nolan pod now. If I ask you the question, you can only see new Tarantino movies and rewatch old Tarantino movies. You can only watch Tarantino or Nolan for the rest of your life. You have to pick one and say goodbye to the other forever. 
what director are you gonna are you gonna keep in your in your heart? In, in a brief, brief. I mean, it's history. not even a question for me. It's Tarantino. So wow, it'd be Nolan for me. Yeah, why is that, Nate? I mean, like I said, I, he's he's been one of my favorite directors. He's I, your guy. I love his work. He's your guy. Yeah, yeah. You're a tech, you're kind of technical genius yourself, Nate. So I'm sure you admire that. Yeah, and that that makes not to put you in a box, but like that makes sense for you. Like you I, would, I see you that. would, yeah, Nate. yeah, nerd, <laughs> you would. All right, totally love it. Wow, wow. <laughs> bold, Sean. So I. I am sad. Is this the part where you is this the part where you tell us you've never seen a Tarantino? <laughs> He's like, movie? Well, uh I don't watch movies by ever. process that, of elimination. That low that lowbrow pop culture filth <laughs> that you call art. No, I honestly I have seen some Tarantino films, but I haven't seen that many. What what so, have you seen? What have you watched? Don't listen to the podcast well, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I know, I have seen Inglorious Bastards, but I can't Good. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. I've seen some of Django Unchained, but for some reason, I was like much younger. See, that's the thing. I was I was pretty young when I watched some of these these movies, and it was just kind of like on a friend's house or whatever. So I didn't really like mm-hmm. pay super close attention or anything. So I take it your answer is Nolan. Yeah. So my answer is definitely Nolan. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I don't, mine is kind of like a non-answer. I don't know. I don't know if I like fully qualify to answer it. If it's between Tarantino and Nolan, I'm going to pick Tarantino simply because. I resonate with those stories more. They're the kind of stories that I would tell if, you know, if I, as I think about, you know, writing and, and whatever creative projects lie, lie in my future. That's kind of, I think I would pull more inspiration. They're, they're more grounded. They're a little more human, um, less, less grand, which I've just, it's not in my bones. So, so it's a tie. It's well, no, it's Tarantino. <laughs> oh, between the group. Yeah. <laughs> well, so this has been Cody's elaborate attempt to get you to go listen to the Tarantino episode. If you haven't, <laughs> that's right. This has all been filler. It's a big, long, awkward preview commercial trailer for the Tarantino pod that was released a couple weeks ago. If your favorite director like was JJ Abrams or Ryan Johnson, you can go back and listen to our star Wars podcast. <laughs> that's right. Uh, boys, this has been a, my head hurts, but I'm glad to have done this with you. Um, it's a good time. If you enjoy the podcast, leave us a rate and review. And, uh, yeah, keep listening. And uh, keep in pursuing authentic faith. And keep pursuing excellent art, too. Until next time.